source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Today's passage is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. If you're using the Pew Bible, it can be found on page 855. Again, the passage is Luke 1, chapter 5 through 25, verses 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just." To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this news, this good news. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. After After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Praise God for his living word. Let us pray together. Lord, we pray that we would better see your sovereign redemption, your action toward us, and what it means for our lives every day. 
as we see what you did here and how it applies to us. Oh, Lord, bless us. Open up our hearts that we may receive your word and believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most uh, difficult things for us is when we feel absolutely helpless in our situation. It could be physical uh, problems. It could be disease. It could be economic uh, disaster, financial disaster. It could be relational disaster. It could be personal travesty in our own lives, a personal struggle with sin or struggle with some habit that just seems to have us by the neck and we feel absolutely helpless. Here is a wonderful passage for any of us and all of us. If you've not felt helpless, uh, you will, by God's grace, feel more and more helpless because the only the helpless truly depend upon Christ. Only the helpless give themselves to Him and rely upon Him only for all that they need. And that's where He wants to bring every one of us to a way that, to a place that's very similar to where we find Elizabeth and Zechariah as they were barren. We're going to see this morning God's sovereign action for His people. And then we're going to see that God's sovereign action is for the helpless. And then thirdly, we want to see that we're to trust in God's promise of this sovereign action. So we're going to look at God sovereignly acts for his people. He does this, secondly, for the helpless. And then thirdly, we must believe in his promise to act for the helpless. In this passage, his action is indicated by the choice, many ways, but one by the choice of Zechariah, this was, they they had a system where 24 orders of priests were divided up. There were so many priests, not everybody could serve. And so there were 24 sections divided up. And his section happened to come up, and he happened to be chosen in that section. Not by accident, of course. We, we read in this that the Lord himself chose him and the Lord himself brought him near so that the Lord could reveal himself, so that the Lord could bless him and in blessing him, bless all of Israel. And so this is God's initiative. And in this very holy place, as they offered the incense, this is the holiest spot in the temple outside of the Holy of Holies where they only went one time a year. But he was in that most holy place right before the curtain. Now, it's one thing to see the cherubim carved into the walls and woven into the veil. It's another thing to see an angel standing right there. On the, and it gives, it's very graphic, the right side of the altar. And he was shocked. But this, of course, is God coming to him at this most perfect opportune time to this, these two who had been barren for so long. Now of all times he's chosen. Now of all times the Lord reveals to him that he will have a child. So it is God's initiative here. Uh, and not only his initiative, but there's the intertwining, which we will see in this first two chapters, of what happens to John and what happens in Jesus' life. 
You'll have two, the introduction of both sets of parents. You'll have two announcements by the angels. You'll have two conceptions, each mother's response, the meeting of Elizabeth and Mary, the two births, the two circumcisions and namings, the two prophetic responses, and the growth of each child. You see the intertwining of the messenger and, in a sense, the message itself, the Lord Jesus. We see this is the sovereign work of God. Nobody else had anything to do with this. It was God's idea to bring about the birth of the messenger. God's idea to choose Mary and bring about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's not only his initiative, but this intertwining of these two lives. And then, though we don't have time to look at all of this this morning because of uh, the communion and we're going to be briefer, but... There are so many indicators of the tie-in with the Old Testament. The very sign or the very description of these being barren reminds us of Sarah, reminds us of Rachel, reminds us of Hannah in the Old Testament. And we almost know immediately something's going to happen to this situation. So there's this continuity where Luke is basically giving us the middle of the story. God has been acting for his people all along. This is what God does. He always redeems. And as Luke will begin here, he ends at the end of Acts with a Pharisee named Paul preaching in Rome. This story that begins with this barren couple ends with a Jew preaching the gospel in Rome. This is the beginning of a great story. And by the way, if someone, if you're uh, having somebody start reading the Bible, have them read Luke-Acts. It gives the most complete story of the birth of Christ and the life of Christ, and it gives on into the account of the church, and it's written by one author. And so what we learn from this, just the very setting of God's initiative and the intertwining and the continuity from Old Testament looking to the future... God is always actively redeeming and saving and transforming and blessing His people. And that means for us, this God who for 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus and 2,000 years since, He is now redeeming. He never stops. He never quits. He never slows down. I love at the end of the field of dreams when James Earl Jones is thinking about going into the cornfield and he, as he thinks about it, he says, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to write about it because that's what I do, you know, as he would say it. That's what I do. And when we look at God, the Redeemer, God says, that's what I do. I always am redeeming. I'm always saving. I'm always transforming lives. I never stop. I never slow down. And so we can say God is this, that that our work in us collectively and individually, it is a glorious work in progress, never done, but never static. Every part of his grace is like a tree constantly breaking through cracks in the concrete. And so your life in Christ will constantly spread and burst into new areas. Your life in Christ, his spirit will constantly cleanse and renew and transform you. He's always on the move in your life. 
Believe that. Trust in the mighty work of God as it's displayed here in continuity with the way He constantly works with His people, bringing about His salvation, always weaving the strands of your life and the lives of other believers to form the fabric of His purpose in this world. And so first we see God's sovereign, present action. I I put these four words together. God's present, sovereign, redemptive action. Present, sovereign, redemptive. Always. There is no other God than that. Your idea of God may be that he sits by some days. And he kind of puts you on the shelf some days. And some days he's working. He's always working in his people's lives. Secondly, so encouraging is that he works for the helpless. Elizabeth, though she was a part of a priestly family, and uh, here, of course, Zechariah as well was a part of a priestly family. Because she had no children, she fell to the bottom of the rung in that society. She had lost her purpose as we're commonly regarded as a woman. And so she was among the weak and helpless and disenfranchised. And she apparently had suffered this all through her adult life. Perhaps 40 years of reproach and shame and humiliation of being one of those women who could not have a child and had no ultimate purpose as everyone understood it. And that's why she even says in verse 25, you took away my reproach. Even the same words as we uh, see Rachel say in the Old Testament. And so this lifetime of reproach removed, but he acts, he acts for her. And you see later in Mary's Magnificat in verses 51 and following, how God has this glorious reversal of fortunes for people. Verse 51, he's shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. And so what we learn from this is that it doesn't matter what your position is in this life. It really doesn't matter at all. It means nothing to God. In terms of you're being better than or more or closer than God or more recommended than God, it doesn't register at all. All that matters is that you, along with others, helplessly trust in His salvation. That's all that matters. It's your only security, your only permanence, the only possession you really have in life is Him. And it's the only life that you really have. And so, if you could imagine the longest, most powerful, extensive, abundant, multi-generational reign or kingdom on earth is nothing. And it will come to nothing. It will be gone in the blink of an eye. Of course, illustrated in Saddam Hussein. For 24 years, dictator over 25 million people. And then in 2003, he's toppled. And later in that year, December 13, they find him under a hut in a sheep farm in a hole in the ground like a rat. And three years later, he's executed. Just one sign 
anybody of any wealth or power that would, re- that would rest in that wealth or power or position or fame in whatever society, it means nothing at all. It will get you nothing at all. But the counter to that is Elizabeth, who is a picture of his salvation from reproach among all of these people that she suffered for decades. She then becomes the mother of John, of whom Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. So from the lowliest of women, she is exalted to the highest position of women. That her son becomes the greatest of the prophets. And her shame would end in joy and gladness, as the angel says. And not only joy and gladness for her, but a joy and gladness that would break out to the whole nation. He would have the power of the spirit of Elijah. You just tremble at the thought of how great this son is, this woman who was so deprived for so many years. How abundantly, how abundantly he blesses his people. And so it doesn't matter if you're helpless. It doesn't matter if you have a ruined life. It doesn't matter if you're at the end of a ruined life. It doesn't matter if you've lost everything. You've lost your family, you've lost your dignity, you've lost any position or hope in this world, this society. It means nothing. All that matters is that you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you trust in this powerful God who brings all of his capacity to do someone good to bear in your life. I think little Nadia is an example of what happens I've talked to Luann about this, that here was little Nadia at the bottom, the the girl they adopted from China, the the bottom of society in China, a female for one, how sad. And now she's orphaned. She's in an orphanage. She has nothing. The very bottom of society, but now she's in an American home among Christians and a co-Christian family that's gathered around her. How amazing. This is a picture of what God does wonderfully for each one of us helpless sinners because he gives us his whole kingdom in Christ. Every one of us is found helpless and broken and orphaned and destitute and diseased. And he heals us and he gives us everything. He gives us his kingdom. And what's so amazing about his deliverance of Elizabeth is that it becomes a deliverance for the whole of Israel. That's woven in here. That John is not just their child, which they were asking for a child, but he becomes the one who announces deliverance for Israel itself. And I thought in this was a great example for us that as we pray for intervention in our lives... Let us pray ultimately for intervention for the kingdom of Christ. Isn't it amazing how we usually just closed in on my need instead of asking, Oh Lord, how does my need relate to the kingdom of God on earth? How does my need relate to my manifesting Christ or becoming like Christ, being used as an instrument for Christ in this world? 
Psalm 67 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. And that should be our prayer. Oh Lord, heal me, keep me, turn things around. But Lord, above all, as Jesus taught us to pray, Thy name be hallowed. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in my life. Oh Lord, use me that I might be used in your kingdom. So we see his acting for the helpless and the helpless become instruments to change the world. That is glorious. That is glorious that you can become among the helpless who are now being used to change the world. And finally, the importance of faith. We see this in Zechariah's response. Uh, he can't take it in, but he, he really doubts that this can happen. We, the angel saw his unbelief. How, how shall I know this? I want proof, is basically what he's saying. And his muteness is a guarantee. Okay, I'll give you proof. You want a sign? How about this one? <laughs> a little more than he asked for, of course. So it was both a sign, a guarantee that indeed you're going to have a son. You have your sign. You're mute. You can't talk until the time comes. But it was a, it's a reminder with an edge, right? Also a discipline. And here is a tremendous lesson for you and for me. The sign of his love and faithfulness to us is the cross of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, many times that is all you will have. You will have nothing else. No light shining around any cloud except the cross itself. And God demands of you that that is enough. In this we know the love of God, John says. By this, Paul says, the love of God is revealed in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we so often come to the God who in infinite love gave His Son to die and we ask Him for a sign that He loves us. Most of you know Scott Fredericks in our congregation, a member of our church. Scott stands at about 6'7", if you don't know him. Imagine a six-foot guy standing in front of Scott Fredericks, looking straight up at him like this. And he's six feet. And he says, you say you're over six feet tall, but I want to see your license. Like, dude, he's towering over you. The evidence is there, and you're asking for his license. And here is God, this giant of magnificent, boundless, wondrous love, so clearly exhibited in the gift of His Son for those who had turned against Him. And we're asking to see His license by demanding things turn out to our liking. That's exactly what we do. It's going to turn out to my liking and that's how you're going to prove your love. I know you died on the cross all day. I don't care about that. Fundamentally, isn't it? I need to see some proof. Put it right here so I can see it. You see, in this 
statement here, this anticipation, it's amazing. The reader, having read through the Old Testament, and there's an assumption that, you know, there's this background. When you see this need, when you see this barrenness, there's an anticipation of a child from the beginning. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, every time you have a need, it should be an anticipation of blessing. Why else would he allow the need? Why else would he allow the pain or the difficulty or the trial? Why else would he allow devastation to come in your life? You should immediately say, as you even read this story and you see she's barren, you're thinking, she's going to get a baby. I know it. And you and I need to, in the same way to expect from this God, Oh, Lord, you're gracious, God. You wouldn't wound me except you mean to bring the balm, the sweetness of healing to my life so I can taste your goodness in the midst of this. Oh, Lord, I rest in you. I cry out in my pain. It is woeful. It is horrible. I cry out to you, Lord. I don't ignore it. Yes. But we must anticipate that our need is the stage for His blessing. He plows the ground in our life to plant seeds to bring forth a harvest of holiness and love and joy. He breaks the bones to heal them right. You know, some, some children, some young people have had five and ten and twenty surgeries. But now they can walk. Now their organs are on the inside of their body. Now their organs function properly. Now that twisted body is made straight. And every painful thing done to them was for their healing. How much more so with the Lord, the mighty God who acts on behalf of the helpless and he brings about good in their life. Oh, this passage calls us to be like Elizabeth who acted in faith and not like Zechariah. By His grace, may we ever trust in His goodness. Let us pray. Lord, we worship You, the great God, who acts for His people, who acts for the helpless. No, Lord, may Your Spirit enable us always to trust You and to exalt You by expecting You to do good to your people. And Lord, if there are those here who've never begun to trust you, who've never put their lives into your hands so that they no longer would rely on their own strength and their own wisdom, but would now rely on the grace of Christ, who no longer would rely on their own works to commend themselves to you or their own performance to win you, But Lord, now they would helplessly trust in Christ alone who has died for sinners, who has taken away sin for any who trust in Him. Oh Lord, may You call everyone here to Yourself to trust You always as the God of grace who has given His own Son. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. But I too soon love pleasing seeing Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. 
Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace.